Well, uh, if it's your first time, don't be afeared, my little children. Sometimes this is what a woman told Brother uh, Hagen one time. Don't be afeared, little children. I get afeared too sometimes. No, that's not God. Uh, don't be afeared. Brother Keith will be here some. So uh, we're still working out all the schedule and stuff. If you came to see him, uh, you got half of him. So uh, here we are, and what we've been talking about on Sundays is uh, we've been talking about, so now we're Christians. So uh, what it is to be a Christian, and what it is to be, um, I guess I still have my earpiece on, I probably should take that out, it's dinging in my ear. Nobody reminded me of that before I come out. I usually have 12 staff that's standing behind me, turn this, fix this, do this, so I'll take it out now. He says you can't be a multitasker. He tells me that all the time. He has to remind me of that. Um, But anyway, we're talking about what it is to be a Christian. What it is to be a Christian. Does anybody know what it is to be a Christian? What does Christian mean? Christ-like. So uh, that's who we are supposed to be. Does anybody besides me ever fall a little bit short of that goal? Just a tad short of that. But what we should be doing is we should be trying to reach for that every single day, every time we turn around, everything we do. But the very first thing you've got to do to be Christ-like is find out what Christ wants us to be like. So let's look at our scripture first, and then we'll cover a couple of things, and we'll talk about what we talked about. Um, Mark 12, verse 30 in the NIV. There we go. Y'all read it with me. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Now, the rest of the people can read it with us, too. Let's start all over again. You know, you'll find out real quickly I'm very much the type of person that I like everybody involved. And I guess I learned how to teach with the kids. And then I went from kids to youth. And then I've gone from youth to adults. So I found out real quickly, if you're in a group full of youth and they're sitting there and they're not responding, what does that mean? They're not paying attention. But you know what? A lot of adults are exactly the same way. You know what? You're thinking about lunch. You're thinking about shopping. You're thinking about your kids. You're thinking about what you got to work on tomorrow. So uh, Dave said, Mrs. Moore, you ask a lot of questions when you teach. And I said, yeah, I do. Because that means people are involved. They're paying attention. They know what's going on. So let's just get involved. You can't be thinking about your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your kids or whatever if you're answering questions. Right? So I'll just get right up in your lap or whatever needs to happen and we'll just get, I'll get him. Hey, if I have to be up here doing this against my will sometimes, then you have to be here uh, answering the questions with me, right? Okay, so we're going to all do it together. Here we go. Let's start again. Everybody read this with me. If you can't read, do like we do with the youth. Listen real closely to the one next to you and uh, say it with them. We've got a lot of youth that still can't read these days. It's sad, but true, and you know it. So everybody read with us. Okay. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Read the next verse. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than 
than these. So that's what we've been talking about, and I've actually done the first two series in my entire life on Friday night and Sunday. So yay! Yay, yay, yay. And so that's the first week we talked about loving God, and we found out you can't love God if you don't love yourself. Right? So you got to love yourself. And then the next week we talked about loving your neighbor, or we could have called it loving your enemy sometimes. Loving those that aren't so lovable. Loving those that don't love you. So if you missed out, I think they do have some tapes on it. And then the next time we talked about love being the witness to those that are around you. Right? Okay. So when we're talking about love, and we're talking about the commandment of love, and we're talking about how we have to love and loving our neighbor, what is a neighbor? Somebody nearby you. Now, who is the closest person nearby you? Oh, your spouse. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. We done stepped into it this morning. And I didn't even say it. You got to start to the closest people to you. It's real easy to think. People see it all the time, and we see it all the time. I see people all the time that think, I could just love this person or just love that person, and then they get around them and they hate them. You know what I mean? It's real easy to envision that, you know, you could just be uh, the perfect person on the mission field, or you could just be the perfect person if you could get around and meet this person, and then you get around them and they burst your bubble. They're nothing like what you thought they were going to be like. Or we have these visions of people that think they want to come to work for me. We have a lot of people that think that. But then they find out we actually do a thing called W-O-R-K in the ministry. And it's not just show and tell. It's W-O-R-K. And they find out real quickly that they don't really want to do that. Do you see what I'm saying? So the thought of something sometimes is better than the actual doing of something. Right? Sometimes you you plan a big trip or something and the thought of doing it was a lot better than the actual doing of doing it. Well, so if we can get one thing right and we can find out that the thought of how we love someone and it's real easy to say, oh yeah, we love them, we love them, but we don't know them. That's what people do with other people. They think, you know what, if I had their spouse or if I had their wife or if I had their husband, it would be real easy for me to love them. Right? People do it all the time with TV shows. They see somebody on a TV show and they think, man, if my husband was just like him, then I could, it would be so easy to be in love. It would just be so easy to just to do that. And it's like Keith says all the time. They're not that way. They are acting. And they can, how long, okay. I can be real sweet for 30 minutes most of the time. (laughs) Can't you? It's not that hard. Even if you're really, really in a grumpy mood or you feel bad or you're upset or whatever the situation is or you just don't 
having a bad day or you got up on the wrong side of the bed and somebody comes up, you can just be real nice to them for 30 minutes, can't you? You can put on your nice smile and be happy and for 30 minutes with anybody almost, right? But what about the other 23.5 hours of the day? I mean, why they got this camera on me right here up in front of you? I could just be just so sweet. But then when I walk through that back door, what happens? Huh? Does everybody want to run and hide and scatter and go in a different direction? Well, what happens in your house? Are you sweet here when people can see you? With your spouse? We, we learned it a long time ago. and I, so Nobody hold hands with your spouse right now. Everybody make sure you're not so we don't leave any connotations. Okay, Don't be too cuddly right now. Separate just a little bit. Okay, Everybody do it before anybody looks. We learned a long time ago in pastoring, every time you see somebody coming in and they're just all sweetie-huggly, oh, and they're just all up in each other's face, Just watch what happens when they get behind that door. (laughs) Watch what happens. A lot of people, I'm not saying everybody, I'm not saying everybody. I'm not saying everybody, but there's a lot, a lot, a lot of people that wind up in our offices and it quite the same as it is when they're out in public. Now, I I am a very affectionate person. Our staff can tell you, Dave can tell you, I don't care where we are, I'm kissing on my husband or I'm hugging on my husband. And and they get amazed that he just ignores it. I mean, I'm always beating on him. I'm always hitting him. I'm always poking him. I'm always pulling on him. I'm always something. That's just the way I am with him. And I've been that way since we've been 13 years old. I've just always done it. And he's just ter- carrying on this conversation, you know, and I'm just constantly going, that's just me. I don't know why. That's just the way I am with him. But you know what? I just like being around him. But I don't, I don't always get to be around him. So when I am around him, I take advantage of it or of him, whichever the case would be. But what we need to decide is if we can carry on this love thing, this Christ-like thing, like the Bible says, in our houses and be Christ-like there, if you can do it there, you can do it anywhere. Anywhere. So let's look at a couple of things, and don't be scared, don't be in fear, because I'll tell you ahead of time, it is level on both sides. It's level for the men, and it's level for the women. And not one of them gets off the hook. Years ago, there were some commercials that came out, and they irritated me to no end. I almost quit watching TV because of it, and I don't watch very much TV as it is. Like, I'll watch Disney or Fievel. You know, or I'll watch, um, that's pretty much all I watch is cartoon shows. There's nothing else hardly fit to watch on TV. It's really not. And so anyway, 
this commercial came on. And I'm going to call the name of it because we're not going outside of this room. And if you like it, I'm sorry, but I haven't used it ever since. This commercial came on. And supposedly this pet had climbed up on this footstool. And um, it stunk. And the guy was supposedly a man sitting in a recliner. And it just stunk. And they had this odor just going all over like a, is it pig pen? Pig pen. Like he carried this cloud of odor all around him from his recliner. And it stunk so bad. And they left the connotation that the man was too totally ignorant to get up and grab a bottle of Febreze and spray it on his chair and spray it on his footstool, that he was too totally ignorant to be able to spray a spray bottle. (laughs) Have you seen commercials like that? That the man is too totally ignorant to change a diaper. He's too totally ignorant to cook anything. He's too totally ignorant to do absolutely anything. Have y'all got the view of commercials like that lately? That if it wasn't for the woman coming in the house, the man could not do anything. Have y'all noticed those commercials? If not, notice the commercials. Because it's become like that the man is no longer the head of the house. That if it were not for the woman, that a man could not get out of bed in the morning and brush his teeth. If she didn't wake him up and direct him by the hand to the bathroom and find his toothbrush for him and put the toothpaste on it and hand it to him and stick it in his mouth and go like that. I'm telling you the truth. Watch the commercials. Has anybody else noticed it besides me? It is bad. And what is wrong with that? See how quiet you got? Especially the ladies got really quiet, some of them. But there's a problem with that, you guys. And let me explain to you what the problem is. The major problem with that is because we are in this world, but we are not of this world. And God set things in a certain order. And if we don't go by the order that he sets things, we are going to have chaos. There's going to be a major, major, major chaos in our lives. Okay, let me ask you this major question. Do I look suppressed? Do I look beaten down? Do I look at my, like my husband keeps me from being able to do anything? If anything, my husband pushes me to do more. He is not a very insecure man. He is very secure in his position. He is very secure in who he is. And that's what the head of a house should be. They have to be the head the way that God is the head. They have to be the one in charge. With them, there comes a stability in the whole household. When there is a man that will take the responsibility and he will say, It doesn't matter if it's the kids, it doesn't matter if it's the house, if it's the bills, if it's the money, if it's 
everything that's going on in the whole world that's a part of that household, that every person in that household knows it ends with dad. The buck stops there. It may have to go through mom, but the buck stops with dad. That's the way it is in this ministry. That's the way it is in our house. We may, we may make decision after decision. We may go on. Things may happen. But when Keith says, no, we're going to do it this way, we don't go, oh, come on. And pitch a fit and cry and whine. Why don't we? Because he has heard from God that this is the way we're supposed to do it and the buck has stopped there. God set it into motion that he was the head and he set a man underneath him. And he set the woman to help the man. Oh, it's real quiet now. But God did that. Now, who created you? Is he smarter than you? Who messed all that up? I don't think the devil has to have much help in doing that. I'll just be honest with you. I am a woman. And I think it's in our nature to run things. But the thing about it is, I don't think a lot of men want to run things. But I do think they like to know, and they like to be in charge, and they like to be asked. And that's where there's so much clashing going on. It's the same way with God. God doesn't want to run every single aspect of your life. But he wants you to turn to him. And he wants you to say, okay, God, what do you want me to do? He wants you to ask him, God, what, what do you want us to do? How do you want us to handle this? He's not going to lord it over you and beat you and say, do this. But he is going to direct you and give you direction. Let's read a couple of scriptures. Y'all are so quiet in here this morning, so we're going to have to stay on it for just a little bit because it's serious stuff. We cannot take what's going on on the TV and build our lives around it. We are supposed to be so we are Christians. We are supposed to be different from the world. What makes us different from the world? Why are there just as many divorces in the church today as there are in the world? Because we're doing it the exact same way that the world is doing it. There's just as many marriage troubles in the church today as there is in the world. Because everybody's trying to do it the exact same way that the world is doing it. And it doesn't work that way. We ought to get a clue. Duh! If you want a different result, you've got to do it different. It doesn't work. There's nowhere in the Bible did it say. Find somebody in here, quickly. Everybody, do you have a Bible? Everybody have a Bible? Find me where in the Bible it says, please, when you get married, you take on responsibilities 
Bible that it says that everything is done in halves. You do your half, I'll do my half. Find me where it says that. It doesn't say that. Let's see what it does say. Because that's what we are responsible to do. What the Bible says, not what our parents said, not what our friends say, not what other people are doing. We as Christians are responsible to do what the Bible says. If we want different results and we want a great marriage, we have to do what the Bible says. So let's find out what it says, okay? Okay, y'all heard Keith say, was it week before last? Challenge yourself in everything that you believe and what you've been taught as to why you believe it. Now, I'm going to just spill my guts like I always do. I was raised in a home where my mother ran the household. And I told you a few weeks ago, uh, Keith was in a home where his dad ran the household. I mean, it was his dad was in charge of everything. I mean, my dad never got a say about nothing. He was in a house with four girls. He never, my dad, he didn't get to decide what we ate, where we went, what we did, nothing. My mom ran the household. So you can imagine putting Keith and I together. Boom! What that was like. I told you, it was like tying two cat's tails and throwing them across a clothesline. And we almost didn't make it. Because we were trying to do it like everybody told us. It was a 50-50 thing. Give, 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 give. You give, 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 you give. 50-50. But I decided one day I better find out what the Bible said because it wasn't working the way that they, everybody was telling me to do it. And I started studying the Bible on marriage. And if I have a favorite subject in the Bible, that's it. I've spent a lot, a lot of time on this subject. So let's find out what it says, okay? Turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians 5. In the King James, 25. We'll start with the man, since he is the head. But hold on. Guys, don't get upset. Just hang on. It says, husbands, do what? Love your wife, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that, he should, that it should be holy and without blemish. Let me give you a little side thought. I know I'm weird sometimes, but I'll tell you anyway. Blemish. Without blemish. I use that for complexion things. I am without blemish. The word, the word says so. Just a lady thing. There you go. Some of you caught it, some of you didn't. Brother Hagin used to say, let him that's ignorant be ignorant still. I didn't say that, he did. Um, verse 28. So ought men to love their wives as their own body. He that loves his wife loves himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it and he cherishes it, even as the Lord the church. 
That's what the B-I-B-L-E says. Not what the TV says, not what your grandmother said, not what your mother said, not what your auntie says, not what your cousin says. That's what the Bible says. The Message Bible says it this way. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving, not getting. A love marked by giving 50% and her giving 50%. Is that what it says? A love marked by giving and not getting. I'm going to tell you a real funny story right here. Keith and I had been married for a long time, and if anybody in here knows anything about my husband at all, you know he likes the word F-A-S-T. How many of you know that about him? He likes fast. If it doesn't go fast, forget it. It has to go fast. It has to run. It has to go from zero to 60 and dot. It has to go. I mean, it has to go fast. Whatever he's ever had in his life, it has gone fast. Well, years and years ago, we got a fast boat. It had two big engines in it, and it would go really, really fast. And we rode in it a lot. And all of our friends would ride in it with us. And none of our friends really cared for it, because, especially the ladies, because I remember one time Brother Kenneth and Miss Gloria got in it with us, and John. And we were riding along the lake, and Brother Kenneth says, Can I drive? And Keith says, Well, of course. Keith was trying to go real slow and take it real nice because Miss Gloria and I were in there. And here we go across the lake, and Brother Kenneth is as bad as some Keith about going fast. So here goes Brother Kenneth, and he just opens it wide open. And Miss Gloria is down on the floorboard of the boat with her hands over her head like this, going along, and we're just bouncing up and down. He loves fast. Well, it wasn't long after that he realized I wasn't as much into the fast as he was into the fast. So he took his boat and traded it for a boat for me. Now this boat is a boat. This boat has a cabin with a coffee maker in it. (laughs) Yeah. And I can lay out on the deck and cruise at the beautiful, wonderful speed of 25 miles an hour. (laughs) And just cruise along and get a tan and he thinks he is being tortured every time he gets in it. The other day, well, I guess it's been two years now, the other day, a sailboat passed us. And right after the sailboat, a boat almost like the one we had passed us. Now, you call that nothing but pure love. That's love. Because he doesn't really care for that boat. He traded his boat so that I could have a boat. What he would prefer to have, he let go. So that he could give me what I would prefer to have. 
That's called giving and not getting. Now you see why I love him? He's the best. That's what love does. It's not constantly thinking about what it's going to get out of something. It's constantly thinking about what it can do for somebody else. Every woman in here says, That the best y'all can do? Amen! Yes, that's right. It's, it's them loving so much exactly like Jesus did. He gave himself for them. And that's what love is. It's not a 50-50 thing. You're constantly looking for ways to give of yourself. You know what's happened in so many marriages? The spouses are looking to each other. And he's saying, you don't give me. You don't give me. And she's saying, you don't give me. You don't give me. And he's saying, you don't give me what I need. She's saying, you don't give me what I need. He's saying, you don't give me what I need. She's saying, you don't give me what I need. And if neither one of them is giving anything, who's getting anything? Nobody's getting anything. But where does everything start? It starts with the head. Jesus loved us. God loved us so much that he did what? He gave. He started it. He gave to us. He gave us his only son. When we were undeserving as yet. Maybe your wife is very, very, very undeserving of your love. Maybe she's messed up. Maybe she's done everything wrong. Maybe she's mistreated you. Maybe she's had affairs. Maybe she's stolen. Maybe she's done everything wrong. What is your job? Just as Jesus loves you. Let me read you the next verse in the Message Bible, and it'll help you a whole lot. Verse 26. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words invoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her. Now, when I read that, it just jumped inside of me. And I wasn't really clear about what that word invoke meant. But I knew it was good. So I went and looked it up. And listened to it very carefully, guys. Invoke means to summons or to call forth. It means to call by naming or citing. It means to awaken or elicit or draw out or extract or to spark or to spur. Is there something that you need or desire or want or have been lacking or um, not getting from your wife? 
there's a way to get it. But probably not the way you've been doing it. Look at this verse. Let's skip to my other page here. Let's see where it is. Um, Ephesians 4.29. In the King James. It says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. The Amplified says, let no foul or polluting language or evil words or unwholesome talk uh, ever come out of your mouth, but only speech that is good and beneficial to the spiritual progress of others, as is fitting to the need and the occasion, that it may be a blessing and give grace and favor to those who hear it. The NIV says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth but only what is helpful for the building up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. The New Living says, don't let foul or abusive language, let everything you say be good or helpful, that your words would be an encouragement to those who hear it. The message says, Say only what helps. And that's what that means. Words that invoke beauty. A lot of times what happens in marriages is people forget why they married their spouse. They've been married for a while. And things happen. And people get hurt. And so they begin calling things that are as though they are. They begin saying things as though they are instead of what they desire. They start saying, you're mean, you're ugly, you're loud, you're rude, you're... And they start just saying the things over their spouse that they actually maybe have become over a period of time instead of the things that they want them to become. Do your words carry any weight in your life? They're life or death. So what have you been invoking over your spouse? Have you been saying good things over your spouse, guys? Have you been invoking her beauty? God forbid you've been calling her bad names or saying anything ugly. But if you have, do you want to turn it around? Well, the same thing works with women. Let's read the women's scriptures. You want to? Doesn't get any, any different for the women. Titus 2. Verse 4. It says, older women, it's talking about, that they may teach the young women how to be sober, to love their husbands, and to love their children. 
to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. I'm going to come back to some of these, but let me read you a few translations. The Amplified says, so that they will be wisely trained, so that they will wisely train the young women to be sane. That's the word I was looking for. No man has ever called his wife, you're insane? You can laugh because it's true. I've heard it. You're crazy. You may not have called it out loud, but you sure thought it. You are crazy, woman. I know my husband's thought it. It's true. Well, you don't want to say that. You don't want you, you never want those words to come out of your mouth. Crazy woman. And sober mind and temperate. Just the other day, I forget where we were. Keith and I were someplace. And they had their little kids with them. And this woman was just screaming at her kids. And I know she was taking her frustrations. It was probably a bad day. But she was just screaming at her kids. And I mean, it was horrible. It's like we have become the world and we have absolutely no control anymore over our emotions and our feelings and we use everything under the sun to excuse our emotions, that we have no more control over our emotions. Well, i got news for you. You've got the greater one living inside of you and you have control over your emotions. If you don't, who does? The devil? Every man in here is nodding his head. But it's true, ladies. We are to be temperate. If we couldn't be temperate, then the Bible wouldn't tell us to be temperate. It's a choice that we have to make. We have to be temperate and to be self-controlled, not devil-controlled. Self-controlled. We don't have to fly off the handle. We don't have to lose it. We don't have to go ballistic. No matter when, what day of the month it is. We don't have to. God created us and he gives us peace. It's we have to look to him. If your husband is saying the right things about you and you're looking to the greater one inside of you and you're saying the right things about you and you're invoking your own beauty, your insides will start to settle down. They'll start to settle down. But it's when you do what the world does and you don't even try. When you go into a store and you forget you're a Christian and you explode, what makes you different than the person that went in right before you that wasn't a Christian? Or what if people see your marriage and they see what you're doing and they see you go out and talk horribly about your spouse, what makes you different than the world? Why does anybody want to become a Christian if they see so many Christians' marriages today that are falling apart and they hear wives talking about their husband in the job place and about how horrible they are? 
should never be. We should be self-controlled and temperate. And the next part, chase, homemakers, good-natured, kind-hearted, adapting and subordinating themselves to their husbands that the word of God may not be exposed to reproach. Now that's what the B-I-B-L-E says. That's not what we should say. I mean, we shouldn't be going out and doing all the things that bring discredit to the Bible. If we're doing it the way that the world does it, we're going to get the world's results. And that's why so many Christian marriages are the mess that they are today. Because husbands are not loving their wives. Wives are not loving their husbands. They think they can do it exactly the same way that the world does it. And it doesn't work that way. It's not a 50-50 give thing. It's a 100%, 100% give. You give everything you got, never thinking about yourself, and they give everything they've got, never thinking about themselves. And that's the way that it works. And the minute that you quit doing that is the minute that you become selfish and things begin to change. Okay, go back. Think. Go back to when you were dating. How many of you girls, now raise your hand, I told Justin to ask you questions, went to an action flick that you didn't like because you were with him? Raise it high so we can see it, and you, and you did not like it at all. See? Or how many of you went to a car show, or you went to uh, mud wrestling, or you went to whatever it was? <laughs> Football games, yeah, or what? How many of you did things often? Yeah. How many of you did things with your husband that you did not like? Do you know how many stories I have heard about airplanes? Do you know? I can tell you every kind of airplanes there. I can tell you the difference between a Falcon and a Challenger, and I can tell you the difference between a Gulfstream. I can tell you how many windshield lines they have in them. I can tell you how many seats they have. I can tell you how many windows they have in them. I can tell you how fast they go. I can tell you how many hours they can stay in the air. I can tell you how much fuel they can carry. Now, is that because I really love airplanes? Huh? Absolutely not. No. I mean, what I love about an airplane is that I get in, I get in the seat, I take a nap, and then I get there. That's what I love about airplanes. But no, my husband loves airplanes. Well, loves, likes extremely a lot. This is a strong word. My husband does. And I love my husband. So if he enjoys talking about airplanes, I enjoy hearing about airplanes. And I will sit there and listen to him like this. For hour after hour after hour after hour after hour after hour. And he's heard me tell this story before. And I always turn my back on him because he's usually sitting right there when I tell it. Because I do. And guys, how many hours have you sat in malls waiting on your wife? Huh? Yeah. That's it. Your girlfriend, yeah, you, you did it with your girlfriend before, huh? Movies, girl flicks, 
Oh. And the girls are trying to hide the tears, you know. Keith always says, Phil, is it time to cry? He said, was, was I supposed to cry right there? Now, he's a mess, isn't he? But why would he do that? Because he loves me. He would do that for me. Do you know what he did yesterday? I told him I was going to tell him. I said, you know what? I'm going to burst your bubble. I'm going to tell him how really nice you are. You try to tell people that you're not, but I'm going to tell him. He said, Bill, don't tell it. It'll, break, it'll ruin my reputation. <laughs> he went and picked up my dad. They drove two and a half hours because my dad had never been to where his grandparents' graves were. And he went and took them, him. And they spent all day searching. He said, we went down these windy little dirt roads, and I took him to where he was born in this little log cabin, and they spent the whole day doing that yesterday. He did that for me yesterday. Now, how sweet is that? Oh, he's right. Now you see why I love him? He's just the sweetest thing. But he did that because he loves me. He wasn't getting anything out of that. He did it for me. But that's what love does. It gives to the other person. And it says things about them. He's all the time telling. This morning when I drove up, I said, sweetheart, there's cars in the parking lot. People are actually coming, and they think I'm going to be here. I know they think it because you haven't been here. And they're going to have to hear me. And he said that. And I said, I said, I said, they actually are coming. He said, Bill, you're doing a great job. He said, and he just, he goes, I won't tell you what all he says. I'll make my face turn red. Um, he is so sweet to me. He is just the kindest, sweetest thing. It, when I first started getting up in front of people, some of the staff would ask me, aren't you, a, aren't you scared to get up in front of him? I said, him? No. You? Yes. <laughs> he is my greatest cheering section. He is my greatest fan. There's nobody that believes in me more than he does. He, I mean, he constantly is telling me how wonderful I am. He is constant. He believes in me more than anybody in the whole world. He has believed in me from the day we met. He's told me I can do anything. But you know what? I totally believe he can do anything. I don't believe there's not a thing in this whole wide world he couldn't do. If I said, sweetheart, we need to take that wall out today and we need to put some more electric in it, we need to do this, he'd say, okay, give me just a minute. But the only problem with him is he'd get the manual out and he'd read it verbatim. Now, me, I'd tear into the wall nuts to looking at the wires, and I'd have a lot of parts left over. But, you know, he'd read the manual, and he'd know everything, because everything we have, the manual is right beside him. He's read the manual. He knows everything. He's, and I'll get a book. I'll say, read the manual and tell me what it says, sweetheart, and tell me how to do it. He'll do it. I have never read a manual on anything. He reads it. He puts it together. He does it. He tells me what to do. He says, all you'll want to know is this. He's the greatest. But you know what? It should be that way with all of us. If we do it the way God intends, the head is not looking to stomp somebody down. They're looking to invoke the better parts of them. They're looking to bring out the better parts of the other person. They're looking to bring out their... The woman is the man's glory. 
And if she's doing what she's supposed to be doing, she will bring glory to a man. And if a man does it right, he will be able to bring out her better parts. But if he's constantly beating her down, then she won't believe in herself enough to do it. But on the flip side of it, if she's constantly putting herself up, if you're tooting your own horn, who wants to toot it for you? If you're constantly the one trying to take charge and do everything, uh, the Song of Solomon says, don't awaken love uh, until it desires or he desires or, you know, several different translations say it a lot of different ways. It's talking about, in my estimation of the word, it's talking about letting love, the love head, be the head. Let them lead in the way that it needs to be done. Then when they lead properly, I like to let my husband call me. I call him back. I like to let him lead because that's the way it's supposed to be. He's not threatened by me. I don't think in any way, shape, form he should ever be threatened by me. I'm to be his helper. I am to make him look good. Everything I do should make him look good. That's my job. That's why I was created. It says, the woman was given to do what to the man? Okay, let's try that one more time. Do we need to turn to Genesis? I think everybody in here probably knows it. Why was Eve created? She was created because it said, guys need what? Huh? Major help? Guys need help. I guess it was Friday night. I was standing in the back and I always, like I tell you, talk to Keith before I go out. What time is it? Yeah, it's past time. Um, Before I go out, and I I said, sweetheart, now, what what are you wearing? (laughs) Because we've been apart sometimes lately when he's getting ready and stuff. And I said, "And, and how's your hair? And because uh, he was running a little bit late. And he says, you know my hair's going to suffer if I'm running late, don't you? And I said, yeah. I said, and last Friday night you wore this kind of purplish blue shirt with the, and it was, he said, you didn't think it looked good? I said, well. And, uh, but, you know, we are given to help them. Not to do it for them. We help them. We, it should always kind of be a question. Not just make it, force ourselves on them. There's a difference between forcing yourself on somebody and helping them. There's a big difference between the two. And if you do it right, let them give you the place. Let them invoke the beauty. Then things will be done the way God intended them to be done instead of the way the world has put it. Absolutely women have a place to be able to do things and and say things and and run things. But if we get it right and we do it the way that God intended it to be done, there's going to be way more glory to the woman than what the world has ever given her. But it's never going to be at the price of putting the man down. 
Because the world doesn't know how to do it. But God knows how to do everything right. And if we'll do it the way he says do it, then men will be in the place that they're supposed to be and never made look like stupid idiot fools that can't even spray a bottle of Febreze. They will be given their righteous right place as the head of the home. And women will be there to help them and be their glory. We've got to start the love thing back in the house. And maybe it hasn't been as much love there as what it should be. But we can begin to teach other people how it is supposed to be and start with our love for each other again and start rekindling flames and start back going to the movies and the flicks that, that you don't care for or start doing things with them that you don't like to do and start, you know, what you have to do, what love does is it overlooks the faults of the other person. If you've been married more than a year, how many of you have been married more than a year? What seems to stand out more now? Huh? Every one of the faults more than... Keith and I will be married how many years, do you remember? We got married in 77. Somebody please tell me quickly. 35 years. We'll be married 35 years. We started dating when we were 13. We'll be married 35 years in uh, May. And you see people's faults after a little bit of time. But then you have a choice. You know what? They had faults when you were dating them. Didn't they? What did you choose to do? You ignored every one of their faults. And your mom and daddy told you they had faults. And what did you still choose to do? And your best friend told you they had faults. And what did you choose to do? But now, if you see a fault, you choose to do what with it? Magnify it. And blow it out of proportion. And make it even bigger than what it really is. When really what you should be doing, love covers a multitude of faults. And if we'll start that at home, and you start practicing it at home, then it'll be so much easier with the world. We're not sent into this world to judge people. And judging starts at home. Everybody starts judging with their spouse. You didn't do this right. You didn't do this right. You didn't say this right. Critical of every little thing that they do. And if you'll quit judging at home, you won't be so quick to do it when you leave outside the home. Keith's told Dave and I, when we really both of us started getting in the pulpit and a lot more at the same time, he says, y'all don't say that like that. And he'll watch us. And if we say something, he'll say, don't say that like that. Because if you say it like that, if you say it in your personal life, you'll say it in the pulpit. Watch how you say that. Watch how you say that. Watch how, like I used to have a bad habit of saying, I love that. I love pizza. I love soccer. I love this. I love that. I love... And you don't really love it. You understand what I'm saying? I love to go do this. I love this. I love, But I don't. I only really love people. But if you say it just constantly, you're going to say it in the pulpit. And you don't really. Well, it's the same thing with you. 
if you say things negative to your spouse all the time or you think things negative to your spouse all the time, you're going to be in a habit of being negative. We've, we've come to a world that thinks more negative than it does positive. And it's time that we start making ourselves stop in our tracks and say, no, devil. And every time it starts to make you think something negative about them, stop and make yourself think something positive about them. I don't care if you've got to think, okay, uh, she's done all this wrong, but look at how pretty she is. Look at how he can fly that airplane. You understand what I'm saying? Look at how he smells. Mm-hmm. Keith tells a story, and I'll close with this, of a man that they say was the meanest man in town. And um, said everybody knew how mean he was, and he died. And there was this one guy that never said anything bad about anybody, ever, ever, ever. And uh, said um, he died, and he was laying there in the casket. And the one guy that never said anything bad about him, everybody was watching him to see what he was going to say about this man that was laying in the casket that was just as mean as a junkyard dog. They couldn't figure out anything nice to say about him. Even the guy that was doing the funeral thought, what am I going to say about this man? So everybody was just standing around waiting for this guy to walk past his casket to see what he was going to say nice about him. And he got up there and he walked past his casket and he said, you know what? He said, that man was the best whistler I ever heard in my life. And it's like your mama always told you. If you can't say something good, don't say anything at all. So stand up with me on your feet. Love starts at home. We are examples to the world. And we ought to be examples to the world of how a marriage ought to be. God set it in motion that he was the head And that the man is the head of the house and the woman is the helper to the man. God set that in motion. And I truly believe with all my heart that God is smarter than me. And he would never, ever, 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 ever do anything to hurt me. He only does things for me to help me because he loves me. And if he set it in motion that way, then he knew that was the greatest and best thing for me. And if I tried to take charge and do things in a place where I am not equipped to do it, it will not only cause strife, but in the long run, it will cause division and I will end up falling on my face. Because if I'm out of my grace, I will fall on my face. And that's what's happening in marriages today. People are getting out of their graces and it's causing division and people are falling on their faces. If you have been having strife and division in your houses, look at it carefully in the Word. Go back to the Bible. It has a lot to say about marriages. and It has a lot to say about the structure of the home. Let's start loving in our homes the way that God intended for us to do it. And we'll have different results than the world has. We won't be filing for divorces. We won't be going to the divorce courts. We shouldn't be in the divorce courts. When you said, I do, it should have been forever and eternity. You are in covenant. Just the same covenant you are as you are with God. You became one with Him. And if you've gotten divorced and remarried, there's no condemnation to you in here today. But if you're not, don't seek a divorce. 
stay married to who you're joined to now. Every head bowed for just a moment, if you would, please. Father, in Jesus' name, you know my heart where marriages are concerned. It's something that is at the heart and soul of me. And I ask you from the very core of my being that every marriage in this place get light and wisdom and become stronger than it's ever been before and become a shining light for you, Father, an example to your goodness and your love. I ask you where there's been strife and division, that there be more mercy and more love and more compassion. I ask you where there's been hardness and meanness and anger and bitterness, that love now prevail. I ask you where there's been confusion, that wisdom now prevail. Satan, I bind you concerning every marriage in this place. I command you with the authority of headship over this church that you take your hands off of every marriage in this place and peace prevail in every home that's in this place. And unity come together like they've not been before. And a reuniting and a re-sparking in their lives. A new flame begin to burn that they've not known for a long time. I ask you for the joy of romance to be brought back into their lives. And I thank you for doing it. In Jesus' name. Amen.